As many of you know, we're in the midst of a consecutive expository series in the book of Luke, and our scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. Once again, remember, this is not the word of men, but the word of the Lord. Hear it with careful attention. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And Jesus went, and the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds around you are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the women, woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. The grass withers, the flower fades, but God's word remains forever. Let's pray. Father, once again. Help us 
Give us light and understanding. Illuminate our darkened minds. Father, that we might understand your great person and power. Father, thank you that you are a healing God. And we pray that you will bring, Lord, healing grace to your people. Father, we ask now that you would presence would be with us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's lesson, in this lesson, Luke is, shall we say, putting the spotlight on the healing power and person of Jesus. Last week, we saw that he healed the demoniac. We're going to see several healings today. Two more. Once again, Jesus has crossed the sea or lake of Galilee. This time he's coming from the Decapolis, which is on the eastern side of the sea or lake of Galilee. Now he's coming back, heading westward to the region of Capernaum, which was, as you know, basically Jesus' home base uh, for ministry at this stage of his ministry with his disciples. But upon his return, <laughs> nothing had changed. The crowds, when he got over into the Decapolis, crowds followed him there. And when he got back again, they were huge crowds coming to Jesus. And upon his return, he finds himself again surrounded by a multitude of people who want something from him. They have heard of his healing power. People are coming and pressing in on all sides. And Jesus is being smushed in this close proximity. Literally, uh, Luke uses the word gathered on top of him. Literally, people were pressing in so tight and asking and seeking for help and mercy from Jesus. Now today, we're going to focus our attention on the needs of two different but very disparate people. <laughs> two, two people that are different, but both are desperate. One of them is rich, the other is poor. She's spent all her money trying to, to get well. One is accepted. He's a ruler in the synagogue. He's, he's significant. He's, he is uh, in a place of acceptance and great uh, adulation and appreciation. The other is an outcast. Very different healings that we will see. And here's, the, here's our outline for, the, for today. J Jesus and Jairus, that's the first thing we're going to look at. Secondly, uh, Jesus and the woman that shows up in the crowd, and Jesus and the little girl, the daughter of Jairus. But there's a break 
it's the story is about Jairus and his little girl that is sick. Then there's a a middle section that interrupts that flow, and then we come back to Jesus' dealings with Jairus' daughter. So Jesus and Jairus, Jesus and the woman, and Jesus and the little girl. Um, In this pressing mass of humanity, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes a very uh, unlikely person to be coming to Jesus This is a guy by the name of Jairus, and he's the ruler of the synagogue. In other words, everybody looks up to him. Everybody looks to him for direction. And yet Jesus is coming. This uh, uh, Jairus is coming to find Jesus. He has a desperate need. And Jairus, who's the ruler of the local synagogue, comes and literally falls at Jesus' feet. Can you imagine what the, what a stir that would have created? Here's the ruler of the synagogue falling down at this upstart rabbi. I mean, they'd seen he's, he does amazing things, but still, this is, this is out of protocol. Jairus falls at Jesus' feet, and he begs for him to come and help his daughter because she's dying. When Jairus tells Jesus that the little girl's at the point of death, he's saying her death is imminent. It's not that she is someday going to die. Her death is imminent. She's literally what we would say on death's door. She's not in intensive care. She's in critical end stage. So, no doubt the crowd was confused by this turn of events. Uh, Here's Jairus prostrating himself before um, Jesus. And yet, Jesus has no hesitation to accept his invite to come to his house and see if he can do something for his dying daughter. Jesus immediately says, okay, let's go. And they head off for Jairus' house. So who knows what Jairus thought about Jesus? We don't really know. Was he a big fan of, or, or was he kind of on the, you know, on, the, on the fringe, just kind of taking all this in? But for whatever the point is, he was desperate now. This was not a man that was calculating and doing everything by the book. That might have been always what he did, but he is desperate, and he has asked Jesus, and Jesus has agreed to him to, to come and to his home. So uh, he's desperate. Uh, he, he, is, he has great need, and that's what pushed him. Jairus is like a lot of uh, people who come to Jesus, I think. Uh, desperate, and often <laughs> that desperation becomes a prelude to what God does in their life. Most of the time, people don't come to the Lord when everything's going great, <laughs> when everything is, is all fine and dandy, uh, everything is good in the world, it's all good. People, people tend to become just the opposite. Rather, 
But here is a situation, and Jairus found himself, and he is absolutely throwing himself at the mercy of Jesus in desperation. And, and praise God, that's how God got some of us into the fold, into his flock, into being his children, because we had to go through something that broke us or remade and opened our eyes to see. And so this is an opportunity. Now Luke records that Jesus, as I said, has no hesitation about this visit. And Jairus probably was about this time, he was thinking, hey, this is great. Jesus is going to come with me, and, and, and if he can do all this that we see in him do, maybe he can something do something for my daughter. So he's probably feeling pretty good at that point. But then all of a sudden, slam shut. The whole scene changes. Instead of going quickly and hastily to see his daughter, the whole show stops. To his dismay, everything comes to a grinding halt. Now, this is the second part of Jesus and the woman, uh, verses 42b through 48. There's another person with a great need now in the mix, not just Jairus and other people, but there is this woman who has some kind of a recurring hemorrhage and as a result, she was not just physically sick, which she had been for 12 years, the text says, but she also was ceremonially unclean. And because of that, because of her issue of blood that was constant, she could never go to synagogue. She could never go to church. She could never even go to parties or, or things in public. She had to stay. Her status was essentially very similar to that of a leper. Completely shut off. And this woman shouldn't even have been in the crowd if she was following the directions carefully like you're supposed to. But this woman, like Jairus, was desperate. And you know what happened. She came up and touched Jesus' garment. But immediately, Jesus knew something had changed. Uh, this woman was willing to violate the rules in order to touch Jesus' garment in anticipation that he might somehow heal her. Now, what do we know about her faith? Very little. We don't know whether her faith uh, was well-informed. I would probably suspect maybe not so great. She sure had, hadn't been able to come to church, to synagogue, in 12 years. She couldn't normally go in among and have, she couldn't go to Bible study or, you know, whatever. So this woman was maybe not well-informed about her faith. Perhaps she could even be, have been somewhat superstitious. She might have been superstitious. But apparently, her faith was real. It may not have been perfect. It may not have been what it should be, but it was real. And you're going to see where this comes into play in just a few moments here um, and how this, how this plays out. She felt compelled to touch his robe or perhaps his tassels, 
And as she did, she immediately felt something inside, and she realized, I'm healed. That's all it took. And yet, somebody else felt it too. And that was the Lord. Jesus felt the power leave him, and he asked repeatedly. He kept saying over and over, who was it that touched me? Who was it that touched me? He didn't just say it once. He said it multiple times. Now, you can imagine his his trusted disciples. They were always Johnny on the spot, always there with good advice, always there with do, to do the, how to show you how to do the right thing. Um, I'm being rather facetious, of course. <laughs> you know that they, they were often uh, not at all like that. Um, <laughs> read, uh, the disciples basically were probably either saying it to Jesus out loud or they were certainly thinking it. You've got to be kidding me. What do you mean? Who touched you? Jesus, we're in the midst of this pressing crowd. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people are around pressing in on you. We, we can't even turn sideways because of the press of the crowd. And you say, who touched you? And you keep on saying, who? How, what are we? You know, do we have a, 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 a crystal ball or something? They're thinking, our master's not making any sense here. But Jesus kept on pressing the question. And finally, out of guilt, the woman comes clean and comes up to Jesus and say, it's me. It's me. Now, what should she have been anticipating? There were probably a bunch of people that, especially those that might have known her or were her neighbors or what have you, they would have been disgusted with her, touch it, reaching out and touching a rabbi and his garment. That, that was just would be un, unthinkable. And yet, she was no doubt expecting a scolding. And yet, what did she get from Jesus? These words. And he said, uh, excuse me. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now that's not what she was expecting. But I'm sure with great delight in her heart, she did. And she went home healed. But, you know, this incident brings up a couple of interesting questions that I want to throw out here. Did Jesus know who touched his clothes? Now, he was saying, hey, somebody touched me. Who was it? That's what he was saying. But do we, do, do we know that Jesus knew who touched his clothes? You see, in our confessions, and uh, we, we are a church that is what we call confessional because we, we're not confessing, uh, it's not, that doesn't mean the confession of sin like we, we do every, every, every service, uh, but we confess our faith 
we, we use creeds. We use um, uh, creeds and, and uh, I can't think of the other, other expression, but we use those to basically frame our faith and be able to express our faith in, in a very simple and straightforward manner. And so uh, in this case, one of our confession declares that Jesus is what? Truly man and truly God. He is truly God and truly man. Um, that means that his human nature is not deified. It doesn't go from human nature to become divine. And his divine nature was not humanized. Both are true. His, so our confession teaches that the human nature of Jesus was not deified. In other words, it was still truly real human. And his divine nature was not humanized. His divine nature somehow wasn't corrupted by our humanity. That means that regarding his human nature, Jesus was not omniscient. He was in his divine nature because he has two natures, one person forever. But he was not omniscient in his human nature. In other words, he didn't know everything. How do we know that? Mark uh, chapter 13, verse 32 but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So, we don't, we don't know. Maybe he did, but this may have been a case where he didn't in his humanity. His deity was often veiled. In many ways, but he, he was still nonetheless fully, fully deity. You see, when Jesus said, your faith has made you well, in what sense is that so? That's another question to, to pose here. When Jesus said, your faith has made you well, now, now that, that would seem like something, you know, from a, 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 a faith healing service or something. You know, that, that's how you would for, formulate. And it, and it would be because of your faith and how great your faith is. You've all heard it said that way. You've heard people say that. And yet, how are we to understand what Jesus is saying here? Your faith has made it well. Her faith or his power? How do you, what do you say we ask Dr. R.C. Sproul, we can't ask him now because he's gone on to, to be with the Lord. But I think he has a wonderful take on this. Um, and he, he's, he, of course, this, this applies to another theological uh, point, and he, he makes that apparent here too. Uh, it's what Sproul calls the instrumental versus efficient cause of something. There's an instrumental cause, and there's an efficient cause. Here's what he says. What did he mean? There was no intrinsic power in her faith. 
Sproul is saying this woman didn't have any intrinsic power in her faith. Her faith was not the efficient cause of her healing. Jesus was. That was the effective, efficient cause, the power of Jesus. But her faith was the instrumental cause of her healing. Just as in our justification, God does not declare us righteous because there is any inherent righteousness in our faith, prompting God to say, because you have faith, I will save you. No, says Sproul. Faith is the instrumental cause of justification because it is the tool or instrument by which we take hold of Christ. Christ is the efficient cause of our justification. And in the same way, it was Jesus who healed this woman. He was the efficient cause that made it happen. Hers was only the instrumental cause. And so, both are true. Both are true in that sense. But the instrumental is the work of the Lord and no other. It's not based on how much of that we have. Now, the last part of the text, 49 through 56, and the little girl. As soon as this happened, as soon as this woman was healed and off in joy, somebody, messenger, comes running up to Jairus and says, no mas, there's no point. Don't let the, don't let the teacher, don't bother him. She's, she's dead. She's gone. We knew she wasn't going to make it. And being told that, we see, we see here something that uh, is, is called a zero-sum game. Some of you know what that is. Uh, gain on one side means loss on another. In other words, uh, you, you know, if, if, if. And, and that's, I think, what, what Jairus was getting hit with right at that moment. He's been told that his daughter is not dying. She's dead. And he probably was thinking, you know, well, because good Jews did believe in the resurrection. Okay, she, she's, she's going to rise again. That's the good. The bad is, I'm not going to ever see her again. My little daughter. So he thought, you know, he's, he's trapped in, an, in a zero-sum game. But you know what? Jesus doesn't have to succumb to that. My loss, someone else's gain, vice versa. He can do both. Jesus doesn't play that game. He doesn't bless one person at the expense of another. And Jesus says to Jairus, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. So when Jesus and company arrive at the house of Jairus, they, there's a bunch of commotion and there are all kind of folks, including professional mourners. Now, you know what the, that's equivalent to. It's, it's basically ambulance chasers. Uh, in another profession. They, they're there to 
wail and mourn and really put it put on the ritz professionally. <laughs> they're going they're gonna to get paid for doing that, to wail and holler and, and all the rest. So they're doing their thing. Other people are struck in their sadness and confused. And this frenzied climax. But Jesus basically tells them, hey, pipe down. The child's not dead, just sleeping. And they're probably, they're going, yeah, right. <laughs> hey, we're not stupid. We know what a, a dead person, cold as ice, feels like. We know this person is dead. Jesus was basically saying, she's sleeping, meaning it's going to turn around implying he will be the one to raise her up again. So everybody knows that Jesus, when he says that, is, is maybe been out in the sun too long. They begin to mock him. They think, you know, this rabbi, you know, is, is just got, it's gone to his head. I mean, it's one thing to heal some people, but Somebody that's this dead, there's no way. So they basically are mocking and not believing. They're disbelieving. So Jesus basically says, uh, three guys, uh, his Peter, James, and John, and the parents. He says, come on, let's go up to our bedroom. And when they did, he reached out and put his hand and grasped her cold, cold hand and literally said, little lamb, get up. Little lamb, get up. That, that just runs chills down my spine of joy that the one who is going to make all things new the one who is going to bring light and immortality to life through his own resurrection from the dead here again he is showing a glimpse of that and astonishingly this girl immediately gets up and Jesus said hey Get some food. I'm sure she's hungry. Probably a long time since she hasn't eaten. Wow. <laughs> you see, who could have ever dreamed this? And yet, there she is, completely well. Healed by the healer, our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there are no ultimately hopeless cases for those that are in Christ. There's no hopeless cases when it comes to the Lord. He can heal. He cannot heal. That's his ultimate prerogative, not ours. Sometimes God does heal. Sometimes God does not. But that he can. And the important thing is... He guarantees 
whether or not in this world, at any point in time, any of us are going to be healed or not going to be healed. Either one of those could be true. If he wants to, he can. If he doesn't, that is his prerogative and call. It's in his hands. But in what that most people miss is that matter that is possibly could be either way. That does not change the guaranteed assurance that we will be with the Lord forever. You see, there are no, there should be no hopeless people because ultimately, this is a depiction of our own resurrection that is promised to us by Jesus. This snapshot in time, long time ago, when someone was raised this girl from the dead, yet to die again. You see, that's why it can't be ultimate. Because she would eventually die again. But there comes a time for the children of God. When the promise of the resurrection will come true. And this is a depiction of our own resurrection. I want you to listen to this quote. And I'm not sure where I, I picked this up. But uh, it's, it's about a, a prelude of our victory over death. Listen, when our eyelids close in death, they will be open to the tender words and loving face of Jesus as he welcomes us and we will not be alone. We will be with a believing family and with a surrounding church. What a harbinger of what all believers in Christ will experience. If you're a believer in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have put your trust in him, Jesus is guaranteeing you, not here and now, that you're going to live longer or, or die sooner. That's in his hands. And there are things that we can have a role in that to try to, but ultimately, his promise is the ultimate resurrection for this little girl, for you, for me, if you are a follower of Jesus. If you can say, O grave, where is your victory? O sting of death, where is your great, where is your victory? I want you to remember that. Come what may, come what may. Whether you get healed or not, you will ultimately be healed. And the greatest sense of healing that will ever be when you are with him in resurrected glory forever. Amen? Let's pray. Father, what a...
What an amazing, encouraging passage, Father, and what you did for these two women. And Father, especially when it makes us reflect on our own resurrection promise to come. That was just a, that was just a first dip into immortality. That was just a, a moment in time that was captured, but ultimately death would come. But we know that because of what you've done, Jesus, and through your resurrection from the dead, you have brought life and immortality to light. And Lord, that is our guaranteed and certain assurance and promise to be with him who is the resurrection and the life forever. And nothing can take that away. Father, we thank you for that. For that precious and exceeding great promise. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of...